Today's episode is brought to you by Birthing Stone and their baby sleep coaching program. Birthing Stone sleep coaches help you invest in a lifetime of good sleep for your little one and provide in-home personalized support to help you reach your goals. Head over to motherbirth.co slash birthingstone for more information. As I was learning and finally becoming kind of what I would have been imagining for, I guess at that point it had been about five years, this other thing was really kind of ending. And um, it still is like a very mixed season of like loving and soaring and feeling so great at work and feeling like I'm, I'm actually getting to that thing. I'm getting to support individual women in this crazy experience we call birth. And my personal life was like a complete nightmare. We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Mother Birth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hey everybody, welcome to Mother Birth today. It is just Laura and I, and we are actually together in our Portland studio, which is a first in several months and very exciting for us since we're always recording remotely these days. Um, we're really excited as part of this month where we're focusing on on cervical health and women's health to get into Laura's story a little bit. And in the past, we've gotten into my story and we just really wanted you guys to hear a little bit more about Laura and the work that she does and what brought her to to this point in her life. So Laura, um, I think most people listening to the show probably know at least a bit about you, but why don't you start for anyone that maybe is newer to the show, just kind of telling us a bit about yourself and then we'll go into how you came to this work. Sure. So um, as most of you know, again, I work, I've worked as a labor and delivery nurse for about five years and I'm now halfway through my program and getting my I mean, what's called a certified nurse midwife. So CNM is the uh, abbreviation for that. And I will also be getting my doctorate of nursing practice. So when I graduate, I will have um, the highest level for practice degree for a nurse. And so um, it really started, though, I think all of this journey for schooling and being with women really started when I was in college the first time. Mm. So my story is full of many different school experiences. <laughs> um, the very first one, I actually went to Bible college here in Portland and I had always really been interested in um, doing work overseas. So that's what I studied there. I studied intercultural studies and spent some time um, abroad in Northern Africa. And that's when I really, for the first, it's actually probably the first midwife I ever met was in Africa. Mm. Um, and I think that experience was really big for me just because I felt like when I was in Africa and like living that life of what would be like a missionary or um, someone who would just raise money to go over and help people, um, I realized I really didn't want to do that. Mm. So it was kind of this weird experience to go through when you're like halfway through a degree in something and you're like, I actually don't think, and I just won this big award for like most likely to actually do that. And <laughs> most they gave me, likely yeah. to live most in Africa yeah. and be a spinster. <laughs> yeah. And I, that's really what I thought my life was going to be like. Um, uh, would just be raising money from people in the United States and going over and helping people in other countries. And then when I went over there and lived full time, I realized like, I actually don't think I want to raise money. If I'm here, I want to do something for these people, like, yeah. or with these people. Um, and I met some people who were doing something like that. Either they owned a business and had women working for them in their business or served in some way, like whether that was like in an orphanage or in a healthcare setting. And I never really thought that I would ever do anything in healthcare 
Um, so I was kind of like, well, I feel like, you know, this is such a great space to be in with women, like pregnancy and health and like even women taking care of their kids' health. And there was just a lot of people who needed that resource. And so I kind of had like started thinking like, well, maybe I would be interested in doing something like that. But the reality was like in high school and college, I never chose science. Science was not the thing I was passionate about. It was not something I was even interested in. So when I was looking at nursing school, I was like, it's just like all science and I'm not, that's not my thing. My thing is like reading and synthesizing and I love English and I love history and I love all these things. So I'm like, there's no way I can become a nurse. It's like way too hard. Hmm. Like as far as like what my natural academic strengths were. So I finished college and still had really been thinking about it, but felt like that was a huge barrier. Um, and I got married after college and my partner at the time really encouraged me. Like, I think you could really do this. I think you like, we should just try it. Like, why not take a couple classes and see what it feels like? So going back and going to community college and taking anatomy and physiology and cellular biology, I was like, oh my gosh, so interesting. Yeah. Like this isn't like biology 101. I'm not learning about like different, like you know, like, I don't even remember the words, <laughs> like, yeah. like different way, like pl- places where people live and I'm not learning about soil. Like I'm actually learning about my body and other people's bodies and how cells work. And I would loved it. I just took to it so well. And so I was like, okay, well maybe I'll like actually pursue this. Um, and in the meantime, you hadn't like, it's not like some other career path had emerged. I, you know, I, yeah. I, if I recall correctly at the time you were, you know, kind of odds and ending jobs, you know, it was, you were, Doing hospitality Working, stuff, yeah. bartending, managing. You um, need for us for a while. <laughs> yeah, at yeah. that time is when I started watching Aiden, Melissa's son as well. And I was just really kind of thinking like, what do I really want this to turn into? Um, we're really lucky in Portland. There's a lot of options. There's also, there's an amazing midwifery college here. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking to Birthing Way and thinking like, well, maybe I want to go like full midwife route. Like maybe that's what I want to do. I think I just like feel like women's health is what I want to do. At the time, I was also doing some volunteer work with refugee women where I would go with them to their appointments and kind of talk with them through kind of what the doctors were saying and kind of try to translate using my experience overseas and my passion for other cultures to like actually help women with mm. their healthcare here. And that felt really right. It felt like very natural. It felt like this is the space I'm supposed to be in. These are people I want to work with. So I went and I did a tour at Birthing Way. I went to their like orientation meeting and then I just started doing a lot of reading and they are really honest about like what kind of practice you will have and what the, their model of midwifery is, which I think is great. But the more I realized, I think I want to work with these types of women and these populations, nursing might be the route that I need to go to, mm. to be able to actually like serve this, this like sect of our community. This more underserved. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and for people who don't know, or maybe don't understand, um, most people who choose out of birth, out of hospital options are in the U.S. In the, in the U.S. are yeah. middle class or above. So there's not a lot of access points for people who don't have um, the means, whether that's just the actual cash to pay for it or the access. They just don't know about it. So for me, it was like, if these are the people that I want to work with and that I find the most joy in working with, this is the path I need to start exploring. I did the exact same thing. I went to the medical college here at OHSU. I went to an orientation. I sat down. Um, I, I met with a couple of midwives, talked with them about the different paths and Felt really resolute, like, okay, I think I want to become a nurse midwife. That's what I want to do. So I'm still taking all the courses that lead you down that path. Um, But then I had to start applying for nursing school. So um, what I didn't know is that it's completely impossible to get into nursing school, especially if you have like a mediocre GPA from your Bible college degree and no experience (laughs) as a nurse. So um, 
<laughs> I started applying and thinking like, well, I'm just like very nice. People will totally choose me. I'm, and, and this is what I'm supposed to do, right? Um, it took me about three years to get into a program. Um, and, and through that, I'm taking courses as well as I also, that's when I kind of thought like, well, I really like to start getting involved more in childbirth. Like, and I uh, had the privilege again of tr- attending a training. We have so many amazing doula training programs in Portland. Um, I did it with Jesse Remmer, Mother Tree, one of the best decisions I ever made. I think it really just opened me up to the career path that I'm on um, mm-hmm. and reinforced that this is exactly the space I wanted to be in. Um, becoming a doula was in some ways very, very natural. In some ways it was like, a a reality check. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, realizing that in order to commit to someone to be at their birth, I had to give up a month of my life, uh, to be on call and to be here and to be accessible. And it kind of started that, that kind of conversation that anyone who works in this field has to have, which is what am I willing to sacrifice to also have this career? And so, um, I was really, Lucky at the time, a lot of my friends were having kids. So that's kind of how I got my entry into getting some births under my belt. I saw a lot of my friends' babies be born, mm-hmm. um, which is something if you have the opportunity or the privilege to do is you just can, you can never quantify what an amazing intimate experience that is to share with people that you love. Yeah, it really is. And for me, that also just kind of like grew and grew in my heart. Like, I really think I want to do this with people and as I'm like getting these rejection letters from school, basically saying like next, maybe try again next year, or I would get on the wait list and get super hopeful and not make any plans just in case I could join the program. And then another program would pass me by another school year. So um, as Melissa mentioned throughout this whole thing, I'm just kind of attending as many births as I can through friends. And then I started to get clients from referrals from friends and I was doing about two births a month. Um, but still I was having to actually work to make money. Um, so I was, I think at that time I had gone all back to just bartending. So it could be shift, shift work only. Yeah. So just kind of living this really strange life where I'm like, half of me is like taking like a mother herbal class. And half of me is like staying up to three in the morning, like making drinks and then (laughs) pouring shots. Yeah. And then like four days a week, I'm like watching a little baby, (laughs) you know? And I feel like, you know, it's, I can laugh now, but the hustle was really difficult. And I'm very thankful. I think, you know, Melissa was there throughout that whole process. I have a really close group of friends who've also been with me through that process and continually basically encouraged me to to keep going. And yeah. every time the opportunity for school would come and pass, they would rally around me and remind me like, nope, this is what you need to be doing. Like it just, you know, it's just not the right time or, you know, whatever. So what was the closest you ever got to giving up? Um, I think, so the very first year I applied, I hadn't finished all my courses. So I kind of had told myself like, oh, well, like I don't have like a very good GPA because I haven't taken the classes and other people have this, you know, kind of had made this like thing in my mind, like, okay, well, I'll also get my CNA certification and that'll help, you know? So I kind of like after the first year, I was like, okay, well, I wasn't that great of an applicant anyway. And then after the second year, I really was like, is this just like not meant for me? Like I, if I can't get even into the school how will I be successful at school? I think mm-hmm. that was kind of starting to really seep in. So I think after the second year, um, again, my partner and I were basically like, is this the right thing? Should you, or should I just go really into being a doula? Should I actually build a doula business? I think that's when- Yeah, did you feel conflicted by that since that was starting to grow and you loved it? Did Were there points at, at which you thought maybe I'll just be a doula and forget this other thing? I did for sure. I think the one thing that is- and people who are out there listening who do birth work, there are different roles 
there's different roles in the room. And, you know, when people, we talk, we talk about this on the show and women share a doula's job is continuous labor support of the woman. Mm-hmm. Um, a midwife's job is to continuously support, but it's also to give that total care for the family right. as well. So you're doing all the prenatal care and postpartum and then this whole other section of women's health. So even as I felt like, okay, well, maybe I should, maybe I should, maybe I should start my own business and be a doula. I knew that I wanted to do more. You wanted to have a more comprehensive care. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted a different role because I I mean, I know people who've gone the whole route and become a midwife and has decided they actually like the doula role. So I think you don't really know until you're doing it, which support and which like like which role you actually want to have. And so as I started, so as I kind of attended more births and worked with more midwives, both in and out of the hospital, I was really affirmed that that's the role that I wanted to have. So after the Mm -hmm. second year, we had discussed like, should I take, should I cut back on my other jobs and build the doula business? And right around then was when I was like, no, like I I do want to become a nurse midwife. What I need to do is stuff that will help me get into nursing school. Mm-hmm. So I took a job working as a CNA, which is certified nursing assistant at a long-term care facility. So working with um, people, elder, elderly people who are in a full-time care. And so I kind of just started pushing towards nursing and what which meant stepping back on some birth work, mm-hmm. which was hard at the time. Cause again, it kind of feels like I'm stepping away from the thing I actually want to do with the purpose of coming back to it. Yeah. Um, but in the end, I think it was really, you know, obviously, you know, meant to be, or I definitely believe when I did get into school. So the irony is of the third year, I got into lots of schools. So it was like, I went from being basically not a good applicant for whatever reason, the two years before to getting into three schools and having to decide actually which school I wanted to attend. Yeah. So, um, in the end, I'm really glad I went to the school that I did because of lots of reasons. And the people I met during that program are still friends and people that were really supportive of me. But I also think it just ended up being the right kind of school for me. And so in some ways, I'm really thankful. I I went to a college here called Linfield College. I'm really thankful for them and the education that they provided. I was also able to meet other nurse midwives through their program and build relationships that helped me in my career moving forward. Mm -hmm. So I'm really grateful to that. And I think, you know, not that that couldn't have happened in other schools, but I definitely feel like Linfield was where I was supposed to go. Mm -hmm. So... Nursing school itself, um, there's plenty of memes in the universe to describe its complete agony (laughs) and terror because you basically are trying to learn everything someone would learn in med school in half the time um, with a different role. And so uh, what some people don't understand about nursing school as well is anything that you're doing, like work at the hospital, work in clinics is all unpaid. So in addition to working as a bartender and trying to pay bills, I'm going to school and also working for free at the hospital. So it kind of becomes this experience where you're like, I haven't had a moment to think about anything except school or work. And work actually started to become re- really relaxing for me because when I went to work, all I had to do was like serve people pizza and get drinks and I didn't have to think about school at all. And mm-hmm. it was like the one time in my life where I felt really like, oh, this is, you know, a, a break. It's a time for me. Yeah. <laughs> Which sounds really backwards for most people, but uh, maybe not. I think we talked about that no, with, yeah, with I, people. I was in the service industry for years too. And I wasn't attending nursing school at the time, but you know, it, it was, it was enjoyable work for me, both because I'm social and because like you could truly clock out at the end of your shift Mm -hmm. and you did not take that shit home. Yeah, Yeah. totally. And I think, you know, again, with nursing school, it kind of is just this progressive education where you're kind of building every semester on the thing that you're learning before. And so it's never really getting easier, just getting more complex. Um, 
but through it all, I continued to like attend births. And of course I was the first person to volunteer for any kind of maternal Mm. or women's health clinical opportunities. And so I was lucky because there weren't a ton of people in my program who also wanted wanted to do that. So I got to do a lot of work in different hospitals around the Portland area and kind of see what birth was looking like from a nurse perspective. So I think that was another huge transition. So going from like supporting friends to supporting clients as a doula was a transition for me. And then seeing what the nurse role would be like, because my biggest fear in becoming a nurse before becoming a nurse midwife was that I would lose my confidence in birth that I had as a doula. Right. Because yeah. um, in so my training- just in a higher risk setting. Yeah. And in, yeah. in my training as a doula, again, my primary responsibility is to support this woman and the decisions and and coping and in her, in her labor. It's not mm-hmm. to adhere to any kind of policy or expectation or to work at all with the provider on what they expect. Whereas nursing, uh, working as a labor nurse is a lot of coordinating between what the patient wants and what the provider wants and then what you're seeing with the data that you're collecting. So nursing and specifically labor nursing is a lot of interpretation of fetal heart rate as anyone who's had a baby in a hospital knows. And so it was a big learning curve because that was something I knew some about, but obviously it had never been my job. And so learning that was, you know, and it is, it's, they call it, they say it takes like six years or something to become an expert Mm. on interpreting that data. Um, And for me, it was just kind of like another added thing where I thought like, I don't want to become jaded. I don't want to think that like birth is an emergency or, or that pregnancy is a medical condition. I want to like continue that confident belief I have in women and their bodies that I have from attending births. I want to, I, I don't want to lose that. And I remember talking with one of my professors who was also, she was a naturopath and a midwife and a nurse. So she kind of had her whole like barrage of different yeah. um, education as well. And she was like, you know, that's on you. Like, you can work in the most medicalized environment and you can keep that and that's mm-hmm. on you. And the way you can do that is by continuing to remember that every single woman that you are taking care of is an individual who is having this experience for the very first time or the like at a very like f- a very u- unique moment. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking that was such great advice for me because you do get into, you know, I was thinking about this as we were preparing, like I see like a minimum of 115 births a year. Yeah. As, an, as a nurse, like minimum. And I mean, there's days where you're like, there were 12 babies born last night. <laughs> totally. And I might have been at most of the deliveries if I'm yeah. doing backup. Or, you know, I might just have, of course, there's nights where we don't deliver a baby. But, you know, with that being the case, like as a doula doing two a, two a month for a year, like that's nothing. I mean, like it's a drop in, a drop in the ocean versus what you get to see as a nurse. So I just really try and still try now to kind of keep that mantra of like, this is an individual experience at one moment in time for the person mm-hmm. that I'm with. And so regardless of what's expected of me or expected of them, like we need to like have space and reverence for that, I mm-hmm. guess. So nursing was really kind of that, I don't know, reintroduction to again, that, that passion, that individual support that I really wanted to provide. Mm-hmm. And so graduating nursing school was, and still it might be, it might even be, it might feel like that even more than midwifery school, who knows, ask me in a year and a half, but like the hardest accomplishment of my life. And I think a lot of that is because it, obviously the journey was long and, um, but also because the actual schooling itself was so rigorous and so costly, um, and I, I still, I still feel very like resolute that I'm supposed to be a nurse midwife, but it's, it was hard to like, really, I mean, looking back, I'm like, I could have been going to birthing way and have graduated by now. Right. 
I could be a midwife. Like I could have a practice or work with a great practice here in Portland and be seeing women. Yeah. And instead I'm like begging for a job in my specialty. Yeah. So that was the other thing. So I graduated in the, in August, I guess. So technically in the summer and it's really, really difficult to get into the specialty of labor and delivery. Um, As you can imagine, people want to do it. Um, But also because it is such a intense specialty, uh, hospitals are really reluctant to hire people without experience. Mm -hmm. So I was very fortunate. I received um, entry into what's called a nurse residency. And I did a nurse residency in labor and labor and delivery, which granted me the opportunity to start working in labor delivery right away. So, But the caveat was that that wasn't where you were living, right? right? It's an yeah. hour away. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I made the drive and made some sacrifices. And um, I think the irony for my life story is that while all the things seem to be falling in place with nursing, mm-hmm. my marriage was falling apart. And so as I was learning and finally becoming kind of what I would have been imagining for, I guess, at that point, it had been about five years. Yeah. Um, this other thing was really kind of ending and um, it still is like a very mixed season of like loving and soaring and feeling so great at work and mm-hmm. feeling like I'm, I'm actually getting to that thing. I'm getting to support individual women in this crazy experience we call mm-hmm. birth. And my personal life was like a complete nightmare. Mm-hmm. And um, for those of you who've been through divorce, you know what it feels like, you know, something I always think of is, Amy Poehler says it's like taking everything important in your life, putting it on a blanket and then tossing it up in the air. That's what it's like to get divorced. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was such an experience like that because I felt like everything that made sense in my life was upside down. And the only thing that continued to make sense was this, this thing, like supporting women and being a part of um, the birth story. Yeah. So it was a, you know, and it was a, tough season to kind of make decisions. And I knew that I wanted to be a nurse for a while before I pursued higher education for midwifery, just because I wanted to make sure like that this was again, the specialty that I wanted. I wanted to be able to recover a little bit from the experience of nursing school. Um, and also to choose well the program that I attended. And so I think that, you know, everybody is different in the kind of education they need. I knew that I wanted to do in-person education for midwifery because I do best if I'm actually sitting with my professors and talking. Yeah, well, not, and it's, it's not just on like, a computer. Yeah, and it's also, I think the the context and the content is so, so personal. And there, there's just like, I mean, there are plenty of things that you could learn online or, you know, via web conferencing or, you know, whatever the options for distance education are, but it's just like, there's nothing like, especially with the apprenticeship, you know, component of it and just like, you know, absorbing the, the wisdom and the experience of, you know, the people who teach you. It's Mm -hmm. like, it just feels like being in person would be so, so important. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, just a grand takeaway from all of my, you know, medical training and education is that you have to constantly be evaluated and assessed and you have to constantly be told and corrected on what you're doing. And, you know, for me, that was really difficult at first because I'm the kind of person who just did really well at things that I liked and I just avoided the things I didn't do well at. Like I was really good at sports. I was good at singing. So growing up, I just kind of had these things that I did and I just didn't try things that I thought I would not be good at Mm -hmm. so that I didn't have to deal with that. You know, I'm very competitive, so I don't like to like not succeed. And so 
nursing is a series of failures that you're being like basically shit. And then they shine a light back on it. So it's like you do something, you learn, you, you know, whether it's a mistake or not, but it's just constantly learning and correcting and evaluating. And I think it's totally changed who I am as a person. I don't have any of those qualms anymore about trying something I wouldn't be good at. I feel like now I just kind of see myself as this lifetime learner. There's no, I'm never going to arrive and be a perfect fill in the blank. I'm never going to be a perfect friend. I'm never going to be a perfect partner. I'm never going to be a perfect midwife. I'm never going to be a perfect nurse. I'm always going to have to be learning and changing. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we talk about that in the context of women approaching motherhood and approaching birth. You have to understand like, you are completely disqualified and completely qualified at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you have to be willing to like believe in yourself enough to fail and get back, get back up and know that you might've failed in one area, but you're really succeeding in a hundred others. And I think that's totally, I mean, that's midwifery too. I think you have to understand that as I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm using the experience that I have as a nurse and using the experience I have as a doula, but I'm also learning a whole new craft. And so approaching nurse midwifery school was kind of like, stepping back into that. I was starting to finally feel like, oh, I'm actually pretty good at being a labor nurse. Like I actually kind of feel like I could almost be like a not, like I like get this. I can teach it to someone else now. Like people look to me for answers. I'm feeling super confident. So taking that step back and redoing, like reentering school was really difficult. And again, I, you know, I applied, I only applied that one full year, but I didn't get into every school I applied to. And I, finally, you know, again, had some choices and where I wanted to go. And I decided to go to the school I'm going to for lots of reasons. But one was that it's a very close knit um, apprenticeship style of teaching. And so I've been very thankful for that in my education now. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, at Kim's as a cost, as you know, I don't live in Portland anymore. And I think that was really difficult first to kind of feel what that would be like, um, because I've been here for so long. Um, but yeah, I think again, I wanted to be in a place where I felt like the women that I am being taught by share the same passion that I have. They're focusing on me as an individual and trying to grow me and trying to invest in me and helping support me to do that with other women. And I feel really, really, really lucky that I have definitely found that. And the people that are, um, alongside me on this journey, both, but my colleagues and my professors. So yeah, I think, you know, we talked about this at the very beginning. It's just like, if you had told me, so 2007 was when I decided that I wanted to become a nurse midwife. If you had told me in 2017, I wouldn't be one yet. I probably wouldn't have started. Right. I mean, well, <laughs> it's actually really, really good that we don't have that kind of like foresight because yeah. if we did, we would avoid half the things that we did. Like, I mean, I don't even think that many people would become mothers if they could like, if they could in their mind's eye, like actually see the middle of the night with like the baby or the like, you know, the ER visit or the you know, like the the tension with your spouse or the, you know, all of those things. It's like, we would probably be like, I don't think maybe I'm (laughs) maybe later. That's what I do. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I don't know. I like to sleep. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe later. Yeah. Maybe like later. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think that obviously, um, I'm, I'm grateful. I think I've learned something every year that I've not been a nurse midwife yet. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is hard sometimes. Like I do have these feelings now. Um, now that I'm doing it where I'm like, I can't believe they're letting me do this. It seems so fast. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I should have some more time. Right. <laughs> Which is insane because. What, what particular <laughs> thing that you have done has made you feel that way the most? Um, I don't know. I think it is, you know, again, I work with really awesome people who really give us like 
great support, but also a lot of like freedom to autonomy. Yeah. yeah, to to work and talk and practice. And I think it's mostly when I'm talking to women about like decision making. Yeah. And um, as a doula, of course I did that, but I did it in such a different context. You did it in like, here's the information, make your decision. Yeah. Um, whereas as a provider, it's still, here's the information, make your decision, but people mm-hmm. are really, really, really depending on you. Yes. And yeah. really, really paying attention to what you say and how mm-hmm. you say it. And I think that's the most learning that I'm doing right now is watching these wonderful midwives teach and talk to women in ways that are so empowering for shared decision making. Yeah. And, you know, for people who out there listening who are not really sure, like, I know I didn't really know what a nurse midwife was or I didn't see one or that's not something I have. It's like a huge push for um, the American College of Nurse Midwives, which is the organization that supports um, both certified midwives and certified nurse midwives in the U.S. is really shared decision making. Yeah. They really, really, truly believe that every woman should have the, the choice on where they give birth and how they give birth and also their health care. So um, also nurse midwives do total women's health. So I see people for pap smears. I see people for gynecological issues, abnormal bleeding, anything you would see your OBGYN for. So um, it really is kind of a lot of really working with women to listen to themselves and understand what's going on in their own body and make decisions. You know, for most people, like as a, as a woman, if you are sexually active, your first decision for women's health care is birth control. Yeah. So for people, it's not cut and dry. There's a, you know, there's 200 kinds of birth control pills. How could you possibly choose Yeah. Um, with your own personal research? So, you know, I think those are the things where I kind of go like, oh, this is a totally new role where I say like, you know, these are the five that I've seen work. These are how they work. Yeah. These are the side effects you might have if you take this one. These are side effects you might yeah. have if you take this one. Based on your personal situation yeah. and like personal health, like these might be the best ones for you to consider. Yeah. Or, you know, here's other options. You can get an IUD or you can get an Im- implant in your arm or whatever you think would work best for you. And, and these are these are conversations I've had with friends for 10 years, but to do it from a provider lens is very different because mm-hmm. you are giving them like an actual recommendation that they then take very like to heart. Yeah. And so I think that's the thing. I mean, you know, inpatient stuff is different, obviously. And, you know, I will be delivering babies soon. And I think that's the stuff where I kind of think I will be like, I can't believe I mean, I've delivered babies as a nurse, but it's different when, you know, it's your when it's really on, it's really like up yeah. to you. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I have these wonderful teachers who are not telling me answers. They are asking me to find answers for myself. So, yeah. um, you know, as a nurse, you make so many decisions and, and work well with your providers. But when you're the provider, it's like, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's on you. You know, in some ways, I think there's so many parallels. I joke so much with my professors about how they are really birthing me. Like that's really what's going on. Right. So, and you know, and they're like, well, actually you're birthing yourself as a midwife. That's what's going on. And yeah, just in that sense of like, I will continue to grow in my confidence. I will continue to grow in my competence, but I also, you know, I will change how I feel about these things because they will become a part mm-hmm. of what's natural to me. Yeah. And, um, you know, so many people in my life are just like, give the weirdest job. Like, and I think I'm right. I think it is. Like for those of us who do birth work, it is not a job like anyone else's job. Like I don't come yeah. in, drink coffee, check my emails, like listen to voicemails. I come in and a baby might be being born. I come in, I might have to go directly to surgery. I come in and, you know, my yeah. patient might be sick or emotionally really frustrated. And so yeah. it starts, I start my shift the minute I'm there, you know. And so there's things like that where I feel like it's always hard to kind of explain to someone that role. Mm-hmm. On the other side of it, I think most people, we have so many people, every single woman on the show who shares about the provider, it's all about the experience that they have yeah. and them being present. 
or not yeah. present. Right. And so I think, you know, and I don't speak for anybody by all means, but I think for us, it's so much of like keeping ourselves available to be present. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I think that as I move forward, I, again, I still feel every stage of this process, I felt more and more affirmed that this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And I think women's healthcare specifically, just because I feel like it is a place for us to be together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this space is, is nothing but a proof of that. Yeah. Mother birth is that. We wanted to create a space for women to be together, sharing story and listening to story. Yeah. And we've talked about that, you know, as we kind of move into the new year, that basically we're just so humbled by how each of you impact each other. Yeah. How every guest we have on comes and individually reaches somebody, even, you know, maybe just one moment in a show or your whole story mm-hmm. or your hope of what's next. And so I think in that way, like, if I can do that as a midwife, if we can do that as a podcast, like, we are succeeding. Yeah. Like, we are we are moving women's health forward. Yeah. Like, we are making a difference. Okay, so today's episode is brought to you by Birthing Stone and their baby sleep coaching program. Tiffany Decker, who's a friend of ours, is the founder of the company and a birth and postpartum doula. And she realized that the biggest need her families were facing was depletion and exhaustion. And so she set out to find the right tools to help them get great sleep as a family. She ended up becoming a Mommy Wise certified sleeping coach. If you have a baby, you know how confusing the sleep issue is. You desperately want to get some sleep, but you also want to be sensitive to your baby's emotional and physical needs needs. And if you go on the internet, you're going to read a million different conflicting things, add exhaustion to the mix, and it's easy to just do what you've always been doing, even if it's not really working. Tiffany and her team at Birthing Stone offer the most personalized baby sleep support that is available. They come into your home and they help you identify your personal goals around sleep, what your baby's developmental needs and even personality are, and they provide in-the-moment feedback and guidance as you work together to figure out what is actually going to work for your family to get the best possible sleep. Tiffany helped my daughter and I a few months ago and it changed everything. I was so worried it would be a rigid program that would make me feel dependent on something external, but instead I felt so intuitive and I feel so intuitive about my daughter's sleep needs and I know how to adapt as she grows and changes. Being well-rested means that we both thrive and we're enjoying our time together so much more. Birthing Stone offers their services all along the West Coast, primarily in Portland, Seattle, and the Santa Barbara areas. To find out if this is the right fit for you and your family, you can complete a quick application for a thorough assessment of your family's needs and goals. So head over to motherbirth.co slash birthingstone for more info. Well, it's amazing how many women reach out to us and say things like, you know, I listened to the podcast the entire time I was pregnant and I had so much more confidence going into birth because of it. Or, you know, things went really smoothly because I just like trusted in the process. And that is thanks to, you know, and and the the truth is, is it's not thanks to like Laura and I, it's thanks to like the women who are sharing their stories because that's, that's what gives you confidence. It's, it's the normalizing of the experience and the, and the realization that even though things can go a million different ways, like Mm -hmm. we are actually like made for this and every single woman like gets invited into this and every single woman, if they have the support and, you know, the encouragement that they need, that they are able to tap into that same intuition and confidence. Like it exists within every single one of us. Or even if it goes the other way where it's like, I hit, I hit, what was a speed bump that could have been a barrier wall. Right. Because I remember this woman talking about how she had a two weeks, her nursing journey was really hard and then she reached out and got help. So I did that. Yeah. And it's like, if I had known to do that, I wouldn't have done that. So, you know, I've heard people share with us that. And 
I don't know. I just think that, you know, if we're, you know, in this month talking about women's health, women are right about their health. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many times women come into the clinic or come into the hospital because they, their intuition, their body is telling them that something is wrong and they are right. Yeah. And so, you know, if this is about women's health and why I do women's health, it's to tell women to listen to themselves and to take ownership of their health. Because the reality is you having your experience, having a good provider, you are who are going to protect your health, but also you can also share that with your community. Mm -hmm. So if you, women so often suffer in silence with their personal health. So, you know, we've talked on the show, we've talked about pelvic health. We've talked about, you know, you know, complications with breastfeeding. We've talked about healing after delivery and so many people suffer for a long time before they actually reach out. But I would love to believe that if I had a problem, reached out, got help. And I shared that with Melissa. Then again, if a year down the road, she has the same problem, her likelihood of going in quickly is really high. Yeah. Because she knows a person who had a similar issue who went and saw her provider and actually got healing. Yeah. Because I think what happens is we just kind of go like, well, I don't know. My periods have always been painful. So I just accept it. Yeah. Or like, I've just always had issues with incontinence and I've, everything online says it's just to be expected because I had kids. Or I've had two traumatic births and I don't, you know, believe that it can be any other way. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You know, or I've had two miscarriages and I don't even want to try anymore. Mm -hmm. But if you know someone who has had the fortitude and the courage to share, then you might be more likely to kind of, I don't know, like engage in a way that you might not before. And so I think that's so important. Um, As women, I think that's important we do it for each other. I think it's so important we do it for ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, we, we encourage that obviously by hosting this and doing this thing, but I know that we encourage it in our personal lives as well, because Mm. we happen to be part of a really great community of women. Yeah. So. Yeah. I want to ask you if you can share a little bit about like why you believe in the midwifery model of care. Sure. I think that something I was re again, kind of reinvigorated about recently about this is one of um, the higher midwives in the ACNM organization wrote a paper about why midwifery is not obstetrics Mm -hmm. and why we need to make sure those two words mean different things. Yeah. Um, Because it's really difficult sometimes to describe what a midwife does or doesn't do. The easiest way I've I've come to describe it is to say, it's what you think an OBGYN does, but I'm not a surgeon. So I take care of women um, through full spectrum of healthcare, including pregnancy and all the way through menopause. And the reason that I think midwifery model of care is shining and superior mm-hmm. <laughs> is that my focus is on your whole health yeah. throughout that whole journey. Uh, midwifery, by definition, is with women, supporting women, and also a continuation of care. So mm-hmm. the idea is that midwifery care is more personal. It's more holistic. Um, we focus a lot on what is current best evidence. Yeah. Um, we... we as individuals are amiable and willing for change, that lifetime learner thing I talked about um, that I feel like has come from my career. Um, those are things that midwives possess because the reality is that we've seen over time that but doing things because of tradition is harmful to women. Mm-hmm. Um, the obstetrical tradition was created as a response to for the way for the medical community, community to get involved with childbirth. Right. So childbirth for, um, well, since the earliest recorded... Midwives are in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> so um, midwives, women have been helping women have babies since there have been women having babies. Which has so, been forever. For a long so, time. <laughs> um, 
the OBGYN model came um, when the medical model was growing. Um, so in really the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, and it started to replace midwifery care um, as they started to become and see pregnancy as a medical condition mm-hmm. that needed intervention. So as we kind of grew that perspective on birth, midwifery care shrunk. Mm-hmm. And um, as we all know, as people who live in the United States, so many things are driven by, driven by insurance and reimbursement. So as the hospital became became mo- like a bit marketed as the best place to have a baby, the safest place to have a baby. Right. Um, the only people who are continuing to see midwives were actually low income um, women. And so it started also to become kind of like a taboo thing. Like you would never have a baby at home. That means you don't have means. Right. And so I think that's really how the two things kind of shifted apart midwifery and then obstetrics. And then really they've kind of come back to work together because we have seen again that Midwives tend to have better outcomes and lower interventions because, again, we we approach pregnancy as a normal part of life. and But we need our obstetric colleagues for things that are high risk and things that do need an intervention. Yeah. And so, and I don't say this to say that they're not amazing obstetricians. I've worked with incredible OBGYNs who see women as whole people and give great care. But I think we work best if we work hand in hand and, right. and midwives take care of healthy women and normal and normalized pregnancy and then obstetrics gets involved if they need to be you know when when you describe it that way and and you share both that history and just sort of that almost like bird's eye view of like you can almost picture these like you know adjacent rooms and there's you know a midwife and an, and an obstetrician and like they're they should be seeing different people like mm-hmm. you know and again there's going to be some crossover there's going to be low risk women who become high risk and need obstetric Absolutely. care or who have an emergency situation who need obstetric care and there's going to be people that like walk into there should be people that walk into an obstetrician's office and the obstetrician says like hey you don't really need me like yeah go see like, a midwife go, go see a midwife like yeah. you don't what like are you going to are you going to need a C-section? Like, or, like what's, you know what I mean? It's just, it's so, and I know that the, it's not that simple and there's, there's so yeah. many, you know, other factors that go into our medical system and, and, you yeah. know, even and again, political I would, system. I would not want to work in, in America, in the communities I work in without obstetricians. Oh, of there course. are women who need them. And so I always say that just because I don't want to because I obviously think midwifery is the superior model of care. It's what I do for a living. Yeah. And I think that most women should see a midwife. It doesn't mean that I don't value the, that specialty and what they provide right. and the safety and expertise that they provide to women as well. Yeah. But I always, you know, the thing that I always have landed on in my mind is women's health care is the only time that you see a surgeon for primary care. Right. There is no other specialty in healthcare where it's like, I have a knee problem. You all know you have to go see your primary care physician. They have to refer you to get a scan, then you get the scan and then you have to see the regular orthopedist. And then if you're really going to have knee surgery and then you see like the orthopedist guy who does knee surgery yeah. and you pay a lot of money to see that guy because he's highly specialized. And you're only seeing him because you actually need to see him. Like yes. we know that you need knee surgery and that this guy can is the only one who can do it. But there's this weird, like, again, when those paths kind of divided, where it's just like all women have to see this specialized surgeon. Yeah. And it's like, do we? Right. And do they need to see us again? Like there's, there's things that they, you know, they could be doing or other specialties. And it is something that's happening. You know, if you read anything about women's health in the news, there are not a lot of people taking a traditional OBGYN track in surgery anymore. Most of them are specializing in neurogen or perinatology. And so there's not going to, there's a huge shortage of actual, just regular OBs Hmm. being, being educated and graduated. So for people out there 
there's never been a bigger need for more nurse midwives. Right. If there's going to be a chasm with this practice, then there should be more of us. And that's how we can make that change. Well, and that seems like a really great shift, uh, you know, of, I don't want to use the, the word power, but like a really great balance shift. Because if you think about it, if we have more nurse midwives, because most women are low risk mm-hmm. and if we have less obstetricians, but if we're having more women see midwives who are then needing less intervention, unnecessary intervention, mm-hmm. that, you know, the need for those obstetricians while still important is going to be less. Like there's going to be less women needing those interventions because they, well, they're because they don't need them. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting thing to, to observe. Yeah. It's cultural shift really. I mean, and again, basically being like grown up and raised in nursing in Portland where nurse midwifery is very prominent. Very pro- yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very different than going to other communities where there may not be nurse midwives at all. Something that really impacts nurse midwives ability to practice in the United States is actually laws. So there are laws that say advanced nurse practice. So whether that's a midwife, a nurse practitioner, a pediatric nurse practitioner, they have to be managed by physicians. Mm. And so in my opinion, that has been set up by physicians because they don't want to give away power of practice to other specialties. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you can look it up. It's very easy to find what the laws are on that. And there are states where you need, basically, I have to have a physician hold my hand to do my work. Yeah. And then there are states where I can work completely separately and autonomously. Yeah. So I think that as I'm hoping as that culture shift happens and maybe some of those roles change, we can make an impact on that as well. Yeah. And so that's, that's basically the responsibility and, and the fortitude of becoming a midwife is you also have to become an activist for midwifery. Mm-hmm. So, um, and for those of you who are passionate about women's health care and passionate about midwifery care, um, you, you would know because there's nothing else in the news if not saying that women's health care is under attack. That right. there is more and more involvement in limiting our access to healthcare, limiting the availability, and even limiting the affordability of women's healthcare specifically. So, yeah. as a women's healthcare provider and um, as women who work for women to have better care, I would uh, encourage you to get involved, whatever that looks like. I think so many times we associate women's healthcare politically with one issue. Right. And uh, abortion is not the only women's healthcare issue right. at risk right now. So, um, whether whatever your feelings are about that, I do encourage you to get involved in your local community for advocating for better care for women. Yeah, I mean, when we think about the just the access that women have, and and we know that there are so many disparities between, you know, even even just like racially and ethnically, the kinds of the kinds of issues that our country, and really, from from what I can see, like it's it's only our country. Like mm-hmm. this isn't, you know, and not that there are no disparities anywhere, but when it comes to like how- Like a westernized yes. government. Yeah. Like that yeah. has an actual like elected government. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, mm-hmm. it's really crazy. Um, just how, how poor of access so many women have to getting any healthcare, not just like, you know, personalized, wonderful Quality. healthcare. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just any access yeah. at all. Even yeah. just the affordability option. It's like if I was male instead of female in my age seeking insurance, I would pay less money because I, I pay more money because I am a woman. Right. Because you have though, ovaries. Yeah. Because I have ovaries. Even though I and do not be, I have no plan on becoming pregnant this year. I have an IUD, like the likelihood of me getting pregnant is 0.01%. The risk of it is so high to my insurance company that they have to charge me double what they would a man my age. It's insane. It is. <laughs> Anyways, obviously I have a strong opinion. <laughs> 
Obviously you do. But I wanted to say one thing too, you know, sharing the story on our platform of mother, my story on our platform is I have like, not that I have conflicting things about it, but sometimes I think people assume in the show that I am a mother Hmm. and I'm not. And I think that I just wanted to say that and know that there are so many women out there who are engaged and involved um, in women's healthcare, involved in our community and who listen to the show and are a part of it that aren't moms either, but are are involved with that same thing we're talking about, building a community of intentionally vulnerable women supporting each other in this journey. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard everything from, oh, I didn't even know anything until I became a mom, you know, from midwives. I've heard that from doulas or I've heard the opposite, like not being a mom has made my practice rich because the reality is I have a hundred experiences instead of one. Mm. So I think that, you know, for me, I've, I've had to ask myself those questions along the way too, especially when I became a doula for some reason. Mm. I felt like when I became a doula is when I really questioned, like, can I be a doula with ever, not ever having my own childbirth experience? And was just really Cause it's so Just because it's so personal. Like that yeah. relationship is so personal. Yeah. And, and will these people look at me and be like, okay, like you don't know. Yeah. Like as I encourage them, like just one more contraction. They're like, okay, like <laughs> you've never done this. You've never pushed a watermelon out of your vagina or whatever. Yeah. But you know, I think, I think that there is richness and you may not know, like I'm sure people out there have been taken care of by people who are and are not mothers. And I don't think, you know, in any way it affects your ability to show up for women and yeah. to support women and to advocate women. And so, especially if you're out there listening and you have, maybe that's been holding you back from getting involved with women's health. I just want to encourage you, like, I'm not a mom and my business is helping women become moms. Yeah. And I think one of the shows that we often ask mothers on the show is, you know, when do you feel like you became a mother? And so much of that question and what's behind it and even what's behind you know, the idea of our name, mother birth is this idea that like, you don't just have this one magical moment where like your baby pops out of your vagina and suddenly you're a mother, you know, some women, some women just struggle to feel like a mother even after their children are born. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's a, you know, a journey over a number of years to really kind of, to really accept and, and sink into that identity. And other people have felt like mothers their entire lives, you know, and, and whether that's like, in really obvious ways, like that you, you know, like are a nanny or you, you know, take care of people's children or that you, um, you know, like always played with dolls as a baby. Like those might be the obvious signs, but I think there are so many ways that, that women mother in our communities, all the people around us. And that is, Laura is the, probably the like, dominant example of that in my life, you know, just the way that she, the way that she holds space for, for the women and the families in her life. Like I look at you and I see you as a mother, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and whenever it is that you have children, like that will just be like another step of that journey, you know, that will just be another piece of you that awakens and, and experiences it in an even, you know, um, brighter way. Mm -hmm. But like you are already on that journey. You are already like you already have that mother spirit. And so I think that's part of it for me too. Mm-hmm. Not, not that it's ever, ever been a question for me, but like, I don't, I don't see us as fundamentally different. Like I don't see us as doing this show and like, I'm the mother and you're the not mother. Like, right. you know what I mean? No, totally. So, no, yeah. I think that that is, yeah. And I, and you know, as far as like desire or things, it's like, of course that that's my desire. And I feel like in some ways, this, again, I would never have known that this was the journey that I would be on Mm -hmm. when I started it, you know, as for all intents and purposes, it was like 
I was married. I had this like linear view of what my life was going to look like. A lot of that changed and so much has grown from it. I think mm-hmm. that if, you know, if I had known it would take this long, like I said, maybe I would have chosen a different path, but I'm so glad I didn't because the reality is that the experiences that I've been through in the last 10 years on this journey to be where I am have so strongly reaffirmed exactly what you're saying. You know, people, you know, I'm 32. I've watched majority of my friends become mothers. I've learned to like support and hold them in that role. And in some ways I feel like I have lots of little children and, um, that are just a part of my heart. And Aiden was really probably the first time I really felt that Mm -hmm. with someone else's child, just because I did watch him. And, but you know, those feelings where you feel like if something happened to this baby. Yeah. And then, you know, we've talked, uh, you know, on the show about Melissa losing Rowan as well and feeling that way for Rowan too and Mm -hmm. um, missing him all the time. And I don't know, I think that for people who are out there and they don't know how to support friends or don't know whether or not you are a mother, it's exactly what Melissa was saying. It's just this spirit of taking care of each other and, and being there when it's really easy and being there when it's really hard. And asking to be there in between too, because mm-hmm. I think people are going to present what they want to present, but really showing up and kind of holding that mother space for the people in your life is so important. Yeah, it really is. Thank you for doing that so well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so tell us where you see yourself in five years. You're done school. You're practicing midwifery in some way. What does that look like? What's your dream situation? I think my dream situation in five years would be to have a practice that's collaborative where I can work both in a birth center and in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, you know, one thing I haven't lost on this journey is I really do believe that most women can have a normal, healthy birth outside of the hospital. Yeah. Um, And so my passion is to kind of continue to advocate for that by being a provider who could possibly provide that. Um, However, I think also from being a nurse, it's really important that you have continuity of care especially in your pregnancy, but definitely during your delivery. So the dream would be to be in a collaborative practice where I can deliver at a birth center and also be with women if they need to go to the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always said, I think I want to work in the hospital environment for a while. Again, from the very, very beginning of the story, it's the women that I love working with are women that most people would, would like rule out of a birth center environment. Mm -hmm. Um, Something I've grown a lot of passion with is continuing to really love working with refugee women, women from other cultures. I can't imagine what it's like to come to the United States and have a baby when you've had another experience, Mm -hmm. how hard it is to kind of figure out our whole system. It's hard enough when you speak this language and you grow up in this culture to navigate. Um, And so I, there's a lot of practices in Portland that do that very well here. Um, So that would be definitely an ambition of mine is to, to identify that community and the community that I live in Mm -hmm. and really reach out to serve them in any way that I can. Well, we obviously hope that you come back to Portland, (laughs) (laughs) but we accept that your journey may take you where it takes you. Well, thank you for sharing all those really intimate details of how you got to this day. I've, I've personally witnessed, I think every, I mean, I wasn't like, I didn't go to college (laughs) with you, but you know, I've like been on this journey with you Mm -hmm. for almost 12 years now, 11 years. Mm -hmm. So it's been a lot of ups and downs, like yeah. of, you know, the years of not getting into nursing school and just the disappointment and, you know, the uncertainty and all of that. And then also just like seeing your confidence and your, um, your like just your resoluteness through it all. I, I don't know if I've ever known someone to be so determined. Like I would have given up for sure. <laughs> I'm just like 
would not have would not have applied to nursing school three times. <laughs> it's not fun. It's not free either. So. No. <laughs> I don't have any like I don't know. I don't have any like retribution or anything. Sometimes I do think like you know you guys are, like really missed out because I'm like really good at stuff like school and stuff. <laughs> Oh. So if you're listening out there, admissions counselors, <laughs> this is for you. This is for you. <laughs> okay, well, let's wrap it up. And we will, um, we're also going to um, share the story of Laura being with me at my third birth mm-hmm. in a few weeks. We're going to share that uh, the week of Valentine's Day. So watch for that because I just can't wait to share my personal experience of of seeing and being part of Laura's, Laura's very, very wonderful care during the birth experience. So thanks so much for listening today, guys. guys, um, And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth Today. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook, where we have all kinds of behind the scenes stuff going on. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us in iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Breast is a personal podcast created by Laura and Melissa. It's intended as general information, doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care if you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period.